Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Since We Loud Radio. This is episode 41. Uh, in the office today is myself and Mountain Carl. Carl, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good now that I'm back from business travel. I was uh, up in sunny New England and uh, got to experience the beauty of that countryside and everything like that. But uh, most of the time was spent inside of the office, you know, grinding away. So uh, I can confirm a couple things about this country. Uh, rednecks exist in every state. <laughs> and uh, haddock is apparently a side dish to some parts of this country. Hmm. So tell me more about that. <laughs> I went to uh, I went to a place that one of my one of my friends at work had suggested, and I think he went probably during the daytime because, at night, when we went, it was um, uh, less than desirable, just oh, yeah. the area that was in. So I went in. Uh, we had our our so it was like it was uh, it was good. It was a good place. It was called Chicken and Chips. So shout out to Chicken and Chips, which I'm sure there's one, but uh, it was it was pretty good. Um, the main thing is that because we're in New England, the sides are you know, uh, all seafood somehow. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it was just very strange to me, like looking up and seeing like, oh, you know, you can get fries as a side or onion rings or a filet of fish. So that was, uh, that was a little bit of a culture shock to me, but uh, no, by and large, had a great time, um, you know, for like the five hours that I was outside of work. Yeah. And uh, that's how business trips always are. Right. I mean, like you just kind of really enjoy those like few seconds that you're away from, from what you're doing. And then for the rest of the time, it's always a grind. I mean, they never give you forever to stay out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah, that's true. And plus you have itinerary that you have to follow. And some of those can turn into very long days, uh, especially if you're doing meetings or uh, working on a project, something like that. Uh, I know for myself, yeah, same thing. It's like, I have to have a few minutes where I have to kind of like walk outside the hotel, take it all in, um, whether it's the scenery or the weather, uh, it's been pretty brutal here in Dallas lately. It's been in the hundreds almost every single day. Um, how was the weather up there? It's beautiful. It was, uh, it was sunny. And I think for most of the time we were there, the high was 75. The best part was when we rolled up in the, in the aircraft and they go, uh, everybody please roll down your windows and turn on your air conditioning. It's very hot outside. And I looked at the, uh, the temperature during my connecting flight. We're still in the Northeast. It was about 80 degrees. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, no, no, it's not like you, you don't understand. <laughs> but, uh, and we finally got to, uh, to our final destination. And, um, it was like about 75 degrees and I heard someone complaining about the humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been in a less humid environment in my life. I'm telling you that from someone who's been, you know, across the Southwest and everything like that, that it's, uh, it was comical. Now this is someone coming from Texas. So you're guaranteed to get that kind of snark from me. Right. I feel like I can big dick it all the time and say, Oh, we've got the most humid place in the world at the hottest place in the world. I mean, minus like death Valley. Yeah. But, uh, all in all, I mean, I, everybody there was actually, uh, pleasant to be around. I mean, everybody's got attitude, but it was, a uh, it was a good environment. Everybody treated me right. So can't complain about that. So, uh, yeah, not bad. I heard you had a pretty, pretty rough work week. Yeah, it was a little rough. Uh, had someone unexpectedly out and, uh, my team that I manage. And so I had to basically work from 2 PM to 2 AM yesterday. Um, so kind of, you know, though, for all of our listeners out there, you know, we apologize. Uh, we have a little bit of a delay in terms of getting around to recording since Carl was out of town and, you know, business comes first and, and unfortunately, uh, this isn't our, our day job yet. Uh, but, yeah. uh, we're crossing our fingers hopefully one day. Um, but who knows? Uh, but anyways, so yeah, a little bit of a delay and, um, but we're always aiming to put, put out our episodes, uh, every weekend at the very latest or by Friday at the very earliest. So, uh, just kind of taper expectations of our listeners out there. Uh, but yeah, had a little bit of a busy week, uh, but uh, it was uh, it was pretty interesting though. Last weekend, I got to go out to uh, hang out with Justin and Claire. It was uh, Claire Peachy's birthday. Yeah. So we got to go celebrate at this brew fest that was being held at the ballpark in Arlington, uh, Globe Life Field, and that was pretty interesting. We thank God we had these VIP passes because it was I think like one o three, one o four out there. And even though it's it's a part of the interior of the ballpark, but not necessarily on the field, and you can walk around, you're in the shade, that's great, but you're still sweating your ass off. Uh, but having the VIP tickets was pretty cool. Walking into the VIP areas, which were basically all of the suites uh, that are located there. I've been in a couple of these suites for work-related functions and stuff in the past, uh, but I've never been into like some of these really, really fancy suites that we ended up walking into. So... That was pretty cool, uh, especially because the AC was running and they had all different kinds of stuff. But they basically give you these drink tickets and you go and kind of like check out a bunch of different breweries from all over Texas. And there were some that I noticed from uh, from elsewhere, like Sam Adams was there and, and Guinness and all that. But uh, one of my favorite uh, breweries was there, uh, which was at the final stop uh, or the final VIP area we went to and I'm glad that I found it and that's a Four Corners Brewery located in Dallas so I think I gave them like (laughs) half of my drink tickets you know Um, so it was a good time and it was uh, really interesting for people watching that's for sure but you know something different to do you get your uh, local buzz on oh yeah I did Uh, local buzz and I tried some other things too but yeah can't go wrong with that yeah Dallas has got a kind of a budding uh, craft brew scene that has kind of fluctuated over the past six years or so. Um, 
but I think it's really coming into its own. So the people who are actually coming from out of town, uh, our out of state listeners, I would definitely suggest that you, uh, you give that a shot when you come in. Uh, a lot of them are pretty centrally located within the Metroplex and, uh, you know, you've got the big names like RAR and stuff like that. You've got the smaller names, uh, you know, obviously like Community and, and Four Corners and, and Petticolis. So um, all great, uh, all, all pretty unique environments. So definitely suggest that for, for anybody traveling into the state. So, yeah. And the, the one thing too, it's like whenever you travel and check out breweries in other States, like, you know, we really recently had the Denver trip and went to a few breweries and it was nice, but, um, you know, it, it seems like the further West you go, the more IPA centric it is. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I'm not a big IPA fan. I can do it, but I'm not, it's not what I'm going to gravitate towards. Just, I don't want something that's like extremely hoppy. I'm more of like a lager, like, you know, like Yingling and stuff like that. Um, of course, that's not in Texas yet. But uh, so for listeners out there, if you end up traveling to Texas or the great city of Dallas, uh, really any city in Texas is going to have a plethora, a whole gambit of different types of brews. So if you're a Porter fan, if you're IPA fan, if you're a Lager fan, I mean, and there's a lot of experimental type brews too. Um, you know, one of my favorite ones is I'm actually wearing the shirt right now, but is at four corners and, and it's basically a s'mores, uh, I think it's like, what is it called? It's a s'more stout. So it's got like vanilla and cinnamon and, and almost tastes like graham cracker and, but it doesn't look, it doesn't look like motor oil, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't look like you're, you're about to drink a Guinness or something. It, it's so there's a lot of interesting things to, to have had, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend anybody that travels in from out of the state to just, you know, check out some local breweries and you might be surprised what you find. Yeah. I, uh, I will say that having a beer that looks like used Castrol Syntec doesn't really surprise, you know, it doesn't really scare me. Um, but I definitely will, uh, I, w- I will say this as far as the IPA thing is concerned, mm-hmm. things have really mellowed out at least in, in Dallas. Right. So when everything started out, it was almost like an arms race. Like everybody had to be hoppier than everybody else. Yeah. I think that was like later two thousands or so. And it's really yeah. started hitting. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was incredible. Uh, it was almost undrinkable and everybody thought that that was exactly how IPAs were supposed to taste. And I guess someone actually got the memo because it's not, I mean, they're supposed to be hoppier beers, but they're not supposed to be, you know, unpalatable. Right. So, right. I, uh, I I like the way things have shifted, how things have mellowed out over time. But maybe I just don't have the iron stomach I used to. But uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. That's not it's not necessarily my go-to. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you there. I don't have the iron stomach I used to either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, one thing uh, interesting this week happened that was yesterday before I ended up having that you know, weird sort of, uh, schedule for work. I uh, got up early and I went to DFW airport and I finalized my TSA pre-check. Um, finally signed up for that after all this time of talking about how I'm going to do it. And I just kept delaying and, uh, made an appointment, got that done. So I'll probably get finalization on that within the next week or two. Cause I'm done with general security lines after that Denver trip and J Mac missing his flight and I nearly missed it. Uh, yeah, screw that. Yeah, I uh, I don't blame you at all, uh, especially for 
how little it costs versus how much you fly. Yeah. Not, n- not bad at all. Do you have a TSA pre-check? I do not, um, which I find to be ridiculous now that every year I tell myself I'm not going to fly as much as I did last year, mm-hmm. right, or the previous year. And, uh, and that always turns out to be false. Yeah. Always. Uh, every year I travel more. And, and I do stuff so that I can travel more. And so I don't know why I continue to lie to myself that I will not travel as much as I did the year before. And a lot of it has to do with weddings and stuff like that, where, you know, I'm always getting pulled all over the country to go see my friends and my family. So it's, uh, it, I don't know what we'll, we'll see. I, I, I should invest in, uh, in TSA pre the only thing that I, I'm kind of curious about is clear, but it's not at every airport. Um, so, and it's a lot of money, so I'm not really sure I feel about that. Uh, I've talked to a VP at my company, um, that, uh, has had clear and said that it's not worth it. Um, yeah. and said that if you travel internationally, you should definitely get global entry. So global entry is like, I think like a hundred bucks or 110 bucks or something like that. And I think it lasts five or seven years, so very equivalent to TSA PreCheck, uh, except what it does is it's designed to expedite uh, your process of getting back into the country if you're flying back from Europe. Um, and I think it's shorter lines, too, whenever you're flying on an inter- international flight departing the U.S. Uh, but by getting global entry, it also includes TSA PreCheck in with it, so you get that as well. Oh, not bad. So okay. it might be worth that. But again, I don't know if you travel international. I never have, and I've been wanting to for years. And uh, I just haven't got around to giving my passport. And that's kind of a lengthy process. So, you know, I have a wedding coming up. Uh, I have to attend in October. And I figured, you know, there, there's enough time between now and then. I might as well get this TSA pre-check so that way I can add it to that. So I don't have to worry about, you know, um, because I'm having to perform in the wedding, um, playing guitar and, and singing uh, for my uh, friend and her soon-to-be husband, and doing like the first dance as, as husband and wife. And so, uh, which no I pressure. Know, yeah, it's I've I've played in a couple weddings before, including my older sister's. So, uh, but I've never had to play and sing. So. I definitely need to practice a little bit more. Of course, I've been delaying a little bit on that, but I have been practicing, or I was last month. I just got to get back into it, um, but it's not too difficult of a song. But, but with all that, I I mean to say that you know I have to like bring my guitar with me, and so having Pain to go ice. through general security checkpoint versus TSA pre-check security checkpoint, I I prefer TSA security pre-check because it's just you know it, it's just uh, you don't have to take anything out and all that other crap. So. Any, anything to make it easier for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, we've, uh, you know, it's been a busy week for both of us. Um, uh, and it's also been a busy week for movie news. There's been all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, it seems like Disney has made the headlines quite a bit too. Disney took over as far as the news cycle was concerned. Uh, I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, one of the things they were actually talking about is, rebooting the predator franchise which i thought was kind of interesting uh not in this fact that predator is being rebooted because predator has been rebooted about four times already yeah but uh the idea that disney is willing to do that i think that a lot of their acquisition of fox has kind of put them in a position where they have to be willing to make rated r movies now Mm -hmm. and uh 
it's good. I mean, like, you know, Disney is good at, at something. Um, it's, it's business, it's making money. And, uh, they, they saw the market. Uh, Fox is not afraid to make rated R movies. And, uh, it may be that Fox just becomes their super gritty rated R arm of Disney, which is kind of on brand. So not too scared of that. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's good that they're they're compartmentalizing things in terms of just kind of leaving things structured as is in a way. I'm sure the creative process will be different. Um, in that, in the past, for certain projects, Fox has had they've kind of had <clears throat> they've kind of had that WB effect a little bit, uh, especially WB and DCU movies, where there's too many um, too many cooks in the kitchen and it gets discombobulated and the original concept all of a sudden like turns into this plasticky thing things get cut things get added and it becomes like a whole mess and um and then you end up with a pretty shitty product at the end of it and you know uh a good thing that a good example come to mind would be like justice league you know um justice league came out and you know wb cut a lot of stuff you know Zack snyder had a lot more content in there now, whether or not Zack Snyder was the best director for that and his stylization, a lot of people didn't like, that's a Debatable. whole other debate. But WB clearly did a lot of things. And the first reviews that, that kind of came in, not really reviews, but just sort of like the test audiences they had and test screenings uh, before it even got uh, released or even had a trailer, uh, they were basically hitting the panic button. And instead of delaying it another year, uh, they went ahead and pushed it out. And they're just like, no, 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 we gotta, we gotta move on this. We have to have a, a product. We have to, we have to catch up with Marvel and all this. And so, by doing that, you have a very half-assed, you know, probably less than half-assed uh, approach. And and everything was just, you know, from Henry Cavill having the CGI, you know, mustache taken off. I mean, the whole thing was ridiculous. It was like that is an, insane. It was an abomination of film. And and there was a lot of stuff like probably dropped on the cutting room floor. Like there's so many scenes I can, but anyways, not to get too heavy into that, but that's just a sort of an example. So I kind of, I've always really respected Disney in terms of how they've always approached things, especially with Marvel. You know, they have a very good trust system with uh, the directors that they bring in for those projects. Um, you know, just about every Marvel film that's come out is, has been either pretty decent or really, really good, you know, uh, yeah. versus what Fox has done, you know, and, and getting back to this, uh, the topic here of rebooting the Predator franchise, you know, growing up, like the Predator to me was, you know, it was Predator and Aliens. Like those were the films that, you know, and the original Alien, of course, but, but Predator for sure just kind of resonated with me with Arnold and the whole story. And it was just very different from, you know, any other film that was out there. And that was a director, John McTiernan, that directed that who uh, was on a pretty big role at the time because he also directed Die Hard. I mean, he was basically it for the late 80s. I mean, he was a huge director for that. Uh, and then he kind of took a break a little bit going into the 90s. But <clears throat> but the, the, the idea of rebooting it, I mean, you had Shane Black take a stab at it. I mean, you had the Alien vs. Predator movies, which were god-awful. I even... I saw the very first Alien vs. Predator movie in theater, and this—I don't know if you remember if you watched it or whatever—but there was a there was a scene where the the chick is running like 
shoulder to shoulder next to the predator and there's a huge explosion and then they stop and look at each other and and my friend uh daniel was with me at the time and our friend uh melinda and dan just like you know it shows both characters they stop and look at each other and it's like this it looks like this intense scene but it's all close up and and Dan just kind of blurted out. He's like, are they going to make out now or what? <laughs> <laughs> it was so ridiculous looking. But yeah. that was another one that Fox got too heavy into it. And they're like, oh, we, we've got we've to have our hands on this and control it. And, um, you know, and the Shane Black, I was excited when Shane Black announced that he was going to direct his version because he was in the original Predator. He's directed some great films from Nice Guys to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Lethal Weapon. Favorites. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, he wrote those. You know. Um, um, yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Way underrated. Oh yeah, classic. I own that one on Blu-ray. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Um, yeah, dude. I I can't agree more with you on that. That uh, Alien versus Predator. I watched the first one and then I I knew I was checking out of the rest of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And I know they came back with at least one more. And uh, mm-hmm. we need to we need to have a little bit of a, a sit down a little bit later. We need to show about versus movies at some point. We've got <laughs> Alien versus Predator. We've got Freddy versus Jason. Um, you know, I mean, there's it's, it's a pretty target rich environment. So, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll have to check into that. But the uh, in, in general, um, I remember Alien being the movie that my parents warned me about as a kid, you know. The, hey, don't watch this. It's nightmare fuel. Mm-hmm. I waited. I waited long enough um, to watch uh, Alien, and I, I will be honest. At the time, like my my uh, my hormonal teenage years, you know, where I, I like loved action movies more than anything. I was. I actually think I skewed more towards Aliens at the time. Yeah, I did too. Something about the Marine Corps element. And it was more like a, it was almost kind of like a war movie or, you know, like a survivalism war movie. Absolutely. I mean, it was James Cameron. That's kind of a no brainer at that point. Mm-hmm. The uh, the video games were also very heavily influenced by aliens and not alien until later. Um, you do get a little bit of a survival horror game that's supposed to be, I can't remember what it's called, um, but it is... Uh, that that latest version of uh, the Alien survival horror game is supposed to be on point, like extremely oh, yeah. scary. Um, but as far as Aliens is concerned, a lot of that stuff really uh, made its way into the video game franchises of like Alien versus Predator video games and that kind of stuff. Which uh, you had a movie that was based, or a video game based on a movie, and then you had a movie based on a video game that was about a movie. So. Yeah you know, a little, a little convoluted there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not scared of another reboot. Um, I'm not, I'm not scared of reboots in general. Uh, they, a lot of times they feel like cash grabs, but, uh, if they get it right, they get it right. And, uh, it takes sometimes a lot of tries to get it right. This is a property that deserves a good movie again. And, uh, I would be very happy if they gave it, the hands-off treatment um the way shane black should have had yeah the the shane black thing was very discouraging because i remember when the news came out and i was following it pretty closely um and you know he was talking to wb and he kind of pitched the idea he's like you know I, i you know after he had some success with nice guys and everything else and 
he wanted to do it right and he wanted it to be like a tentpole event type film not just like a film that they randomly released in October September he wanted it to be like a summer release and and really get like a proper red carpet type treatment from WB and so right. which means they would allocate more money to it um and so they're like okay yeah yeah you could definitely have it and i'm not really certain like the the whole story of if they got involved if fox got involved in kind of uh or i'm sorry i said wb earlier i meant to say WB, fox. Yeah, it's fox yeah, yeah. so if, if fox got involved and um and if if they kind of had too much like if there was too much going on of uh him not having complete control of the film but i don't think that's the case i i think he legitimately wanted to make it as comic booky in a way as possible to where you kind of have that humor i mean the humor was in the first one the very first predator but you know they had sure. like uh um you know the guy michael what's his name uh the guy from key and peel um and so he was in it as kind of like he had some humor uh you know it the, the whole film was supposed to be, I mean, especially seeing the trailer and stuff, I'm like, okay, this this could work, you know, and it's going to be rated R. Okay, great. Uh, Olivia Munn's in it, and I was like, she's not the best actress, but I'll give her a shot. You know, everybody deserves a shot. Right. And after seeing the film, it was just kind of a mess. And I know some people who actually liked the film and didn't mind it, but from the very get-go, it was like the CGI looked cheap. Uh everything just looked ridiculous. The eyes of the predator looked very different from like, you know, that's the kind of the problem is that, uh, nowadays I understand why you want to utilize CGI over say the proper effects of the Stan Winston type stuff. Yeah. Practical Uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. More practical stuff because the CGI is going to be cheaper. It's going to take less time. There's less, uh, you know, room for error, things like that, but they just didn't get a lot of the, like the color palette and you know all those little details they didn't really do it right they just kind of came up with their own amalgamation of things um i don't know i getting to the end of that movie i almost stopped it it was just so bad and you get to the end of it and it's just kind of like eh. like it, it kind of felt like it was something that a, my 10 year old self with having a predator action figure could have come up with in my bedroom as a story plot you know it sounds about right yeah i um I think that it's going to be very, it's, it's hard enough. I think everybody knows it's hard enough to recapture the magic of the first predator. Um, I also think it's very difficult to recapture the magic. And yes, I said magic of even predator two. Um, I know that that was, it it was kind of panned pretty hard when it came out. Uh, But everybody that looks back at that says, yeah, that was a predator movie. You know, I mean, like everybody kind of realizes that's canon. So because of that, I feel like a lot of these reboots and Predators and Predator and and uh, AVP and everything like that that's happened, a lot of them try to update it, right? Because they, they can't go back. Because if they go back, then they'll be immediately judged against like not just the actual acting and the movie back in the 80s, but the uh, the template, the aesthetic. Right. And uh, I think that I think that's a safe play. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a just like the way Robocop did uh, when they, they brought in, you know, the new suit, the new actor, the new everything. Um, they tried to update it as much as they could. 
they wanted to make it as an homage to the original RoboCop, but they didn't necessarily make it, you know, something that I guess would follow directly or well. Right. Um, you know, I understand what they're doing. I think it's a safe play. I, I think that you need to get this in the hands of the right person. They've had a lot of big names in, uh, in acting all the predator movies have. Um, even this last one, I think had like Tom Jane and, and all kinds of random. Well, I guess he's not a huge name anymore, but, um, you know, I mean, they, they, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, um, mm-hmm. God, uh, the pianist, uh, Adrian Brody, um, just, just random, random names that were big, at least at one time and now got stuffed into a predator movie. And that was the big draw. And, uh, I, I think they were so- sold a, a, a bill of goods. You know, they were told that this was going to be a massive motion picture event and that everybody was going to be on board and it was going to be, you know, basically a huge callback to the thing that everybody remembered and loved. And every single time they deliver a big stinking pile of crap. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would hope that they get it in the right hands and they do it correctly this time. And that's, you can get reboot fatigue and we're definitely on the cusp of that right now with this property. Yeah, I agree. And and that's kind of where I'm at with it. And my thoughts is that they should wait some years before they attempt to do this again. Um, you know, I, the last movie could have put a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, Predators, which came out, the one you alluded to uh, earlier this decade, I think it was like 2010, 2011 with Adrian Brody. That one was all right. I didn't mind it too much, but it definitely could have been better. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they should wait a little bit and, you know, have like a very original take on it, you know, um, do a different kind of story. Um, I wouldn't mind like a, like a noir type of predator where, you know, kind of like what they did in predator two, where, you know, there's a series of murders going on in the city and what's going on. And maybe you have a detective following a case and, you know, I don't know. There's just different ways to approach it. Uh, so Murtaugh and Gary Busey versus the Predator. That was uh, <laughs> that was basically the the go to line of that. Yeah. Now that I love that movie. Um, again, that's a very cult classic take on it. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be something that everybody agrees with. But yeah, yeah. But uh, but I I trust in in Disney. I mean, Disney's one of those one of those companies that you know. I think for all of us, we just kind of knew them as, uh, oh yeah, they they do all the animated films and all the stuff we grew up with, and they weren't really known for doing more adult-oriented type stuff or more grown-up type of content. And over the last couple decades, they've proved us wrong, and they've they've been, you know, they've been growing, um, and they're so spread out now, especially with Fox. I mean, it's it's interesting, but it seems like they're gonna allow like all the comic book type stuff to just kind of like let Marvel and Fox kind of run with that. And they just kind of oversee it, which is a very smart move. You know, like if it's not broken, why, why try to fix it? Why try to reinvent the wheel? So I feel like in terms of like how they have their organization and everything, they definitely understand the moving parts and the gear wheels and all that. Um, so much so that, uh, another news item that came out this week, uh, Toy Story 4 has crossed the $1 billion mark worldwide. It is now the fifth Disney film this year to do such a task. So uh, just counting those five movies, they've made over $5 billion this year alone worldwide. Yeah, I know. And and the other thing that really stood out to me in that article, uh, which was uh, the rap uh, that posted that article. And uh 
<laughs> this uh the only movie that is in that I think top five biggest earners of this year that wasn't Disney mm-hmm. was Spider-Man Far From Home. And uh, that was because it was a Sony picture that was distributing it, or distributing it and not Disney. And of course, that is because of Disney, Marvel, and Sony's handshake with the Spider-Man franchise. That would have been the sixth one to make, you know, make it past the billion dollar mark. Yeah, and that was a very smart move by Sony to do that and sort of reach out and be like, yeah, let's let's integrate this and and we're willing to work with you guys. I don't know if uh, if Marvel gets a cut of it. I'm I'm not sure exactly how all that kind of works out in the end, but it's very smart of them to do that rather than just kind of like do what they used to do, where they just kind of held Spider Man in and you know didn't want didn't want him out there to play. So held him close and smothered out. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the, uh, the Spider-Man franchise, um, not unlike, you know, Fox's franchise is Fantastic Four and, and X-Men have gone through uh, Reboot City uh, just trying to hold on to licensing. And uh, and that's fine. You know, I, again, I'm not afraid of reboots. I understand why they exist. Just give me a quality movie and we'll be fine. Uh, or a franchise that works you know, and keep that going for a while. But the, uh, the Sony, the Sony handshake with Marvel, very smart move as you alluded to. So, yeah. And, you know, Disney's just continuing that momentum and taking all this money that they have. And, you know, now they're, they've been working on Disney plus, uh, quietly for some time now. And there's a lot of stuff that's been dropping, uh, hints in different, um, tips about you know what's going to be coming out on disney plus uh, i think it's going to be a very attractive uh subscription service for a lot of people uh including you know like i know that the uh star wars mandalorian uh, uh series is going to be coming out on that and i hear that that's going to be pretty amazing with pedro pascal uh starring as the mandalorian uh directed by john favreau which we all know is a really really great director uh so Disney Plus is going to be interesting, but it's an interesting time right now, too, because, I mean, you got Disney Plus coming out. There's a lot of it seems like the, the competition's really starting to get heated because I know like Hulu Live uh, it just now came out. Uh, you've got all these other cord cutting things that are, uh, you know, it's a very attractive off because, you know, the the old days, the advent of of the TV, of television and, and those networks and having to kind of like subscribe yourself to okay at eight o'clock i gotta tune into this thankfully we came along with tivo and dvr and now it's kind of like it's it's all in demand you know it's all we can hit play whenever we want after the stuff comes out uh so i don't know about you but you know like i i have multiple uh, streaming services i subscribe to you know netflix prime you know and the list goes on oh yeah uh, so it's it's real interesting right now to see like how all this is going to pan out. If any of it's going to be successful, what's the price point? Uh, I know you've uh, kind of read up a little bit more on that than I have. Yeah, I think that uh, Disney Plus and Hulu uh, now being under the same umbrella, and uh, and of course ESPN. I, I last time I checked, I think the bundle price was something like thirteen dollars. Which, if that's true, will absolutely undercut quite a few other a la carte broadcasting. Uh, features out there i've got a i've got a feel and and, and 
this this doesn't have to pan out, but I really got a feeling that the the cord cutting side of things, the a la carte TV is a real boom bust kind of thing, right? So the, just as a snapshot back in the day, right? When cable and satellite were still the biggest avenues for digesting, you know, visual media at home. Um, uh, all of a sudden we get things like Netflix and Netflix has an incredible array at the time that it first began its streaming service of uh, licenses for shows and movies and deals they struck with a bunch of different distributors to have uh, an incredible array of content. And Hulu came along, uh, disrupted that. Um, then there became like a bidding war, right? Who gets what show, who gets what rights to what, when. Um, but it's only gotten worse from there. I, I say worse. It's only gotten more complicated from there because of the number of streaming services and things like that. Now you got live TV that you can cut the cord on and that kind of thing. So I guess my point to all this ranting is that the, the Amazons, the Hulus, the Netflixes of the world, uh, at some point we're going to get to uh, a point where they actually, one is going to buy another, right? They're going to have to absorb each other and create a giant a la carte system that, you know, may or may not cost as much as a cable subscription. And then now we're getting TV over IP basically, um, which is, it's just the cable it's internet version of cable. Um, whether or not uh, you like that, I think that at some point there's going to be the smaller distributors and there's going to be breaking apart of this again and we'll get back to the a la carte model and then it will all get all consumed again. So I really, I think that'll just be fluctuating over time. Um, right now we're seeing, I think the biggest entrance here with Disney Plus, which of course is going to have all the Marvel stuff. Um, all, I mean, of course, Disney's animated films, which have grossed, you know, probably trillions by this point. And, uh, and, and I guess that now that they're already linked up with Hulu, um, I think it's already happening, right? I think, I think you're seeing some of these brands coalesce and, and of course, Disney created brand segmentation is going to put some things on Hulu is going to put some things on Disney plus, and then you've got Netflix kind of here on its own, uh, at some point that's going to get digested by a larger company. And uh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens is my point. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how it all kind of um, is, is interlinked. Like, you know, like Comcast, for example, is owned by universal. So mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like Comcast isn't going to go anywhere and eventually they'll move away from cable structure to now it's over IP services. Like you say, Right. Uh, the one thing that I'm interested to see what will happen would be like DirecTV and Dish. I still don't understand why people sign up for DirecTV and Dish because, man, I tell you what, like I had DirecTV for a brief time, I think in the early 2000s before Fios came out here. And of course, you know, made things a thousand or a million times better. Right. Uh, and having it, you know, watching sports or watching a TV show or whatever. And all of a sudden, here comes dark little rain cloud and, oh, there goes the signal. Like it just, it sucks. Now they've made it better. They've made it more appealing uh, because, you know, I still have a few people that I know that have it. And 
say they're you know on the go or whatever well now they have a direct tv app you could pretty much um watch anything that you've put on your record list uh so you have like dvr space for that you could watch live tv so it sounds like they're already you know like i feel like they're already integrating and shifting towards that to where eventually we'll have those stupid satellite dishes off of the roofs uh eventually and and they'll just kind of do their own thing and it'll probably just be called because i think at&t owns direct tv right so uh or maybe they're maybe not i think yet. it might be dish i can't oh, remember maybe it's, it's, it's one of, it's one of the d's so <laughs> yeah so there we go that's, that's a drop for you yeah there you go it's one of the d's but uh yeah, I think all these conglomerates, I mean, you see it all the time. They're buying up these companies, and and it, yeah, it's definitely going to shift towards that. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, like Netflix is starting to get up there in price. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, what they do to combat against some of these more appealing type services like you mentioned. I will give you a counterpoint to your Dish Network uh, opinion, and that is the country. Um you know, when you're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so that I think the dish will always have a, some, some kind of base market. They'll probably have to collapse at some point and, and some other company will have to take care of them because they might be too big for, for what they are at that point. But, uh, but I mean, not everywhere gets fiber, right? Not everywhere gets, you know, high speed internet. So, you know, even I know people that are way out in the, in the boonies and, uh, and they'll get dish network because that's the best kind of anything they can get as far as consuming media. Yeah, true. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, in general, I agree with you that there's, it, we're, we're starting to see the end of, you know, just, especially just regular like RF style cable going to homes. Right. Fiber is the future of everything so and we all we all see that so well fiber and and now you have you know 5g and then there's the the next g that's out there being developed probably in japan right now i mean so things are really progressing at a very rapid rate i i would definitely like to see this country you know not to get political or anything but just you know it's it's common sense i think i think by now in it's almost 2020 I kind of feel like everybody thought that everybody would have broadband internet, but you, like you mentioned, you go out in the sticks, you know, not too far outside of Dallas and the fastest you could probably get is like, you know, five meg down, which is ridiculous. Um, Maybe that was fast back in the day in 2000, but I mean, we're talking 20 years later. So, you know, that I think uh, the rest of the country needs to catch up. And, you know, I, I would just hope that the government would kind of step in and, kind of work with some of these companies of like, okay, let's put these towers here. And, and even if they don't have dish, you know, you, you have like 5g, you can operate off of, which is really fast. Yeah. So, I agree with the fact that the, the wireless is probably the future for the country. Yeah. Um, I mean, out in the country, not the country as a whole, but uh, the, uh, you know, being out in the middle of nowhere, I know a lot of times all you have is line of sight internet and uh, satellite internet. And they're all, they're all terrible options, but they're the best that people have. So more power to them. Um, you know, I think that having a line of sight situation is actually a pretty good deal as long as you can, uh, as long as you continue to develop that technology. Um, I think that because the market share is so small when it comes to these kind of middle of nowhere technologies that you just don't get the kind of development speed that you do on other things. So, uh, you yeah, know, here's to hoping that that changes. Yeah. Well, 
you know, um, so we got Disney Plus on the horizon. They got a bunch of stuff uh, that's coming down the pike that are kind of like you mentioned, you know, because the mouse owns ESPN as well. Throwing that in for what was it, 13 bucks a month, you said? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So that's very appealing um, for everyone involved from people that watch sports and then you have kids and all that stuff. I mean, that's a no brainer. But good package. A lot of. Yeah. There definitely. we go. Yeah. yeah that's another, another drop. good drop for you. <laughs> but uh, but all these other services like Amazon um, and Netflix, I mean, they see this coming. And the one thing about Amazon, especially Netflix, but Amazon's really starting to set up their game with Jack Ryan and everything. And and so they're trying to come up with more content. Right. So uh, Amazon, there's a series announced. They're going to do a series on Event Horizon. Um, it's a very interesting sci-fi film that came out in the late 90s i want to say and yep. uh, i think it was maybe even 99 but might have been yeah so it had uh starred uh, uh Lawrence fishburne and um oh man i always forget his name for some reason played uh, sam neil yeah sam neil there you go the great sam yeah. neil and uh was directed by paul ws anderson which you know kind of a <laughs> Kind of a mixed bag in terms of what he's directed, but uh, Event Horizon to me was one of my favorite sci-fi films because, uh, and I have it on Blu-ray, and it's it's one of those where it's like a sci-fi horror type of psychological film where it's like, okay, is this is this place haunted that they went to, or is it a portal to hell? Like, what is it? And it's kind of the the only thing that I've seen that's really kind of like comparing to the game Doom. Uh, that has got it right more so than the, than the movie Doom that came out, which was horrible. Uh, but yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, if you haven't watched Event Horizon, you should definitely check it out. A couple points uh, on that: they're coming out with a new Doom movie that's straight to digital, which I thought was kind of a strange reach. But I guess that the po- the the video game is popular enough again that they can do that. Uh, right. The trailer looked halfway decent uh, for a straight to digital release. Uh, which is the equivalent of a straight to VHS release of your. So not not too surprising there. Uh, Event Horizon seemed to be a very polarizing movie back in the day. It was either a love or it or hate it, right? And I think that a lot of that had to do with Paul W. S. Anderson uh, and his style. But, uh, but I also think the content wasn't for everybody. Um, the movie that tonally reminded me of that uh, at least from the little that I've really seen of Event Horizon, is uh, have you ever seen the movie Sunshine? Yes. Uh, yeah, I saw that movie. Yeah, the eeriness of that movie. Um, again, Sunshine is a little bit different. It's two movies in one, basically. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a space, you know, kind of survival film and exploration, and then it goes just full alien, just I mean, all the way, and. Uh, and, and kind of like goes from, uh, you know, will we survive? Will we not survive to just like, just, you know, jump scares and tension and everything like that. It's actually a really good movie. It's got Cillian Murphy in it. Um, but anyway, that aside, uh, Event Horizon is tonally similar, except for the fact that it, it combines all of those elements at once, as opposed to trying to divide it up into different acts. So I would, uh, I would be very interested to see, what Amazon does mm-hmm. with this. Um, Amazon is notorious for you going for a multi-season deal and then saying, nope, we don't want to do this anymore. It's not good enough. 
And I think that that's just them, their model of trying to compete with big boys out there like Netflix. Um, you know, hopefully the Jack Ryan stuff gets a decent length. Grand Tour gets a de- decent length of play and that kind of thing. They're, they've got their heavy hitters. That's fine. Uh, they need to be able to take a little bit more risk in that in that network. Um, they need to they need to be able to kind of put it out there. They've got the money. They they spend it on cool ideas like Event Horizon, um, uh, Miss Basil, like that kind of thing. And uh, a lot of times it seems like they just get scared and, and like maybe this isn't performing just exactly the way we want to, or maybe not, it's not hitting the demographic that we want to and they yank it. Um, I would, I would very much like for event horizon to get a fair shake. Um, again, it's a, a, the original was kind of polarizing, but the, uh, the idea of a survival horror in space uh, TV show right? Like, let's say it's a 10 episode run. That seems pretty standard for mm-hmm. these days, mm-hmm. kind of the BBC market version of things. Um, I could absolutely see that happening. So yeah, I would be excited about that. I agree. And uh, that's the thing, like <clears throat> Event Horizon came out at a great time for science fiction lovers. Uh, there were there were a plethora of sci-fi films that were out at the time. I mean, you had what, Independence Day in 96, uh, yeah. you know, this film had come out and you had a uh, sphere and really sphere. when you were mentioning sunshine as the movie it reminded you of sphere is the movie that to me is kind of like a, a cousin, like a distant cousin from this film. And that is very psychological, you know, based on the Mi- Michael Crichton novel, which was really great as well. Uh, you know, sphere was another one of those that came out that I think, I think when, the trailer and how this how this movie was marketed was very similar to how Sphere was marketed, and, and a lot of people didn't know what it was. And then when they watched it, they got confused because, well, let's face it, a lot of the audiences in in the '90s were simpletons. You know, they yeah. they just wanted to see explosions and Arnold flexes muscles and you know boobs on screen. That's all they that's all they really cared about. Uh, and sacred '90s movie. Right. And And that's why you look at all those films that came out that commercially may not have done very well. Like, uh, you know, for example, uh, Dark City, Uh, that one didn't really come out too well. uh, I don't think uh, commercially, but it has a cult following now. You know, Fight Club became a cult following. I don't know how well it did on the box office, but, you know, there's there's just so on and so forth. Uh, You know, Fifth Element's another one. Uh, another great sci-fi film so you know it was a great time uh at the end of the 90s but yeah i i would think you know that's the one thing that amazon doesn't really have uh when you think about it like netflix has sci-fi type shows uh you know they have some some like deep space nine type stuff uh you know cbs is bringing back uh picard uh they have their star trek discovery show so that's something that amazon definitely needs to get into and i feel like event horizon is a perfect fit uh, good just because it's a it's a multi blended type of sci fi type thing, you know, it's different enough, and other people have tried to do it, but maybe not as well as Amazon will. So, um, I, oh, fun fact, real quick, you mentioned Independence Day. I want our listeners to know that some of the best in, or best Fourth of July movies that are out there uh, were hilariously made by the German director Roland Emmerich. <laughs> so uh, apparently, he has a deep love for this country. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, the, yeah, the Patriot and Independence Day are a Roland Emmerich film. Oh man. The Patriot is a 
classic. I've watched that film so many times, and it's so great. Um, however, Independence Day Resurgence, probably one of the worst films I've ever seen in a theater. Like it, yeah, it was a steamy pile of crap. I wanted to walk out of that so bad, and yeah. it was terrible. I'm never watching that again. Jason Isaacs um, yep. from, from The Patriot and mm-hmm. from Event Horizon. Um, I think that one of the best things about a movie is its villain right its antagonist yep um it's hard to beat jason isaac's performance in patriot uh man he what he made you hate him uh that that dude can act uh he he never gets the movies that he really deserves to be in uh i don't know if he's an absolute pain in the ass to work with uh he seems like he would be but um yeah, just seriously. I mean, like, just looking at the guy, like, he just his face looks like a guy who'd be hard to work with. But, uh, but he definitely, uh, that dude can act for sure. Oh yeah, you remember he was in Black Hawk Down. He was like one of the, uh, he was like the, I don't know, I want to say he was the lieutenant or the corporal or something like that. And he had a very southern draw, like he was from Georgia or something. And you know, like his his uh, his enunciation and and his tone and everything was perfect it's spot on and then when you hear him talk he's british you know it's like wow uh, oh yeah so yeah he's he's a fantastic actor uh, i want to I, I watched him do an interview uh with a podcast company a, a few months ago and he just seems like the nicest guy uh i watched him on usa at a series where he was like in israel and uh, it, it was like supposed to be like an end of times type thing, right? Re- Revelation. And they only did like one season or two seasons and it didn't come back, but I thought he was excellent on that show. He's a, he's a damn good actor. I, I want to see him in more stuff. Yeah, I do too. Um, he needs a, he needs a better agent. Uh, I like, uh, I like Black Hawk Down. Uh, some, another fun fact that like half the people that were in that movie were either British or Australian and were <laughs> That's true. supposed to be. American actor, American uh, soldiers. So I think Josh Hartnett was, you know, oh, okay, Tom Sizemore. That's right. Yeah, I forgot he was in that. Him as well. and, and Josh were the only two Americans. Yeah, it was uh, Ewan McGregor, Eric Bana, um, of Tom course, Hardy, Tom Hardy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very British and Australian heavy, but uh, a good movie. I enjoyed that one. Oh yeah. Um, the other thing that's coming out this Paul W S Anderson esque is uh, that we have Resident Evil on Netflix announced. Um, You know, I'm not really sure how everybody feels about the Mia Jovovich. Is I say that right? Yep, Mia Jovovich. Jovovovovich. I don't really know how they feel about that uh, Resident Evil series of movies especially people who love the game mm-hmm. i feel like it's people who love the game as people who love the movies and now never the two shall meet you know um it's very different they've got the same characters and stuff like they have an overlap and that kind of thing but they follow very very different paths um i uh i mean at some points they converge obviously you know some of the bad guys um like wesker and that kind of deal mm-hmm. but uh, you know i think mia jovovich uh, actually, wasn't she married to Paul W. S. Sanderson? She for was. A time? Yeah. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it was probably during the very first filming of uh of the or of filming of the very first Resident Evil. Um, yeah, is when they met on set. Right. So, I mean, more power to them. I think they're divorced now, but I mean, they're they're probably fine people. 
um, kind of a weird mix, like a weird choice of direction to go for the film in the first mm-hmm. movie. Um, and they kind of made their way back to the video game roots later on. Either way, it, it grossed a crap ton of money. Um, you know, that was one of the very few video game franchises that just soaked up dollars. Oh, yeah. So, um, again, you either love Paul W.S. Anderson's directing style or you hate it. Um, you know, it, I think the jerkiness and stuff like that uh, that he has works well for things like Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how well it works for uh, pure action, but either way, I, Paul W.S. Anderson is not connected to the Resident Evil Netflix series, I don't believe. No. So, you know, a couple things I probably would want to see from that. Uh, the fact that Resident Evil on its own right had a pretty good tone to it. I mean, the dialogue was stupid in the game. Yeah. But the uh, but tonally, it, it was a good, it, it felt good. It felt right. The survival horror thing was real. I mean, it was a very very focused thing in the late nineties, early two thousands. Now everything's kind of way more action based and jump scares and that kind of crap. But I mean, you go back and you play the original resident evil on a PlayStation or whatever. And uh, that's, that's got some pretty, pretty dark feel to it. Um, I would love to see the kind of transition from video game like resident evil and silent hill Mm -hmm. that kind of ambiance that they took in the video game and actually mesh it well to a tv style you know the show just just a that kind of like the, the, the short clip i mean a survival horror show the the names are practically interchangeable it's really about the atmosphere so uh, if they went if they went down that that road, um, I mean, there are some staples you have to include in that kind of thing, like um, the umbrella uh, company. Or God, I can't remember what it's not Umbrella Academy. That's another Netflix show. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, um, umbrella. Um, some of the big names like that, that happened from the actual series itself get interjected. That, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, zombies in a mansion. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. That's a, that's a pretty good show. I would, I would think that's a good, like low concept for a a TV show. I would watch that. Yeah. And as long as they make it like dark and gritty and, you know, um, they, they've definitely done that. Netflix has on a, on a lot of shows. Uh, do we even know who's going to direct this thing? I don't think anything has been announced for it. I think they just threw it out there just to see what kind of reception it would get. You know, one one uh, show that I fell in love with that has only been one season, and the second season is going to come out at some point. But uh, that's the uh, House on Haunting Hill, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is uh, Mike Flanagan, who um, I believe he directed and produced it, uh, and he's done some really amazing stuff. You know, going back to his his first breakout hit on Netflix, which was a survival horror of a uh, deaf woman, I think it's called Hush. Uh, I think that's what it was called. I think you're right. Yeah, and he's got a real, I mean, he's he's coming up to, you know, like, uh, I know there's been a lot of really good horror directors that have kind of, like, come through and had and pitched their ideas and kind of, like, um, 
you know, sort of changed up the game. Like uh, Oren Pelly comes to mind, you know, the guy who did Paranormal Activity. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When that came out, that changed up everything, you know, and even yeah. going back before that, uh, Blair Witch Project, you know. So it, I think survival horror um, is definitely in play. I mean, it's been big on TV with Walking Dead and all that stuff, but uh, sure. You know, I read the other day that Flanagan is uh, he's kind of pitched this idea. And I think uh, I can't remember which big company is going with it. It's either Universal or somebody like that. And it's supposed to be an interactive horror survival film. So you Sweet. choose what happens next. And I always like those books when I was a kid where it's like, you know, if you want the character to go down the well, or you want to go to the cave, you know, turn to this page for this chapter and then you kind of you know, put things together to see alternative outcomes, you know, that way the replay factor, it's, it's a very smart idea. So I would like someone like him or maybe not him, you know, cause I know he's busy with that project with uh, that TV series in season two, but you know, just to have someone who's real gritty, you know, I want it to be very dark and gritty. I don't want to see a PG 13 type of stylized thing. Like we saw in the resident evil films, I want it to yeah. be very much based on the video game, you know. So yeah, I think you I and agree. I are on the same page with that. That's good. You mentioned Hush, obviously not the actual Hush, but you did watch the film Batman Hush recently. Uh, can you tell me what you thought about that? Yeah. So Batman Hush, uh, as I alluded to in, in previous episode, uh, one of my favorite graphic novels of all time for Batman. I definitely put it up there in my top three. It's kind of interchangeable. Sometimes it moves up to one, but I think The Long Halloween is probably my favorite. Uh, but so having it on my bookshelf and having read it multiple times, uh, you know, going into this animated film, you know, kind of like what I touched upon last episode, the the animation style kind of didn't really grab me because it's very flat and the way the mouths move, it, it kind of reminds me of like anime, which I, I found out there were a lot of like uh, well-known anime uh, artists who worked on this. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. And it was probably a cheaper route for them to go as opposed to trying to make it look like Jim Lee's drawings from uh, the graphic novel, and which are amazing. Uh, they still look amazing to this day, but, you know, him and uh, Jeff Loeb working together on, you know, who who helped out on the story and all that was just uh, awesome. But the animated film, uh, you know, I watched it in the theater room here at the house, and uh, I got to say the sound is really good. Uh, it's a DTS uh, HD Master Audio 5.1, and that was mixed really, really well. Uh, the voice acting is really good and even surprised me because uh, there was a character that showed up. There was a lot of things that happened in the animated film that didn't happen in the graphic novel, which kind of thought was interesting. You know, the graphic novel, if they were to animate it frame by frame, it probably would be like a three hour movie or longer. So I can right. I understand why they had to kind of truncate it down, but also, you know, have a twist and come up with their own original. So I'm OK with them doing that. I just uh, was a little nervous going into it, hoping that they wouldn't completely ruin it. But there was a uh, Lex Luthor shows up in it. In the graphic novel, he is the president of the United States. There's a lot of things that happen. And then in this one, he's not. He's still just the head of, you know, the Lex Luthor Corporation. And uh, in the animated series, uh, or in the animated movie, Batman shows up in his bedroom to talk to him, try and give some information, and, you know, kind of spook him into giving him something. And in, uh, 
in the graphic novel that didn't happen like it, it was completely different so there, there were a lot of things artistic license on it yeah yeah and and uh but i recognized the voice of lex luther i'm like who is that so i looked it up on imdb and it's rain wilson who uh basically played dwight schrute on the office yeah and he actually is uh he's a pretty versatile actor yep. for being a goofy guy um speaking of good voice acting audible has excellent voice acting and Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM. That's audibletrial.com slash SLM. There you can browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Now, back to you with more beautiful talk about Hush. Excellent. Well, thank you for that read and it's definitely a great service that all of our listeners should check out but um yeah batman hush um just to sum it up that i thought that the voice acting and and the animation actually didn't take it out uh or take me out of uh watching it versus say like the killing joke animation so it is a little better it could be better on the animation side but uh i felt like it was put together pretty well um i felt pretty invested watching it but overall, you know, what I really like about this is the one thing that they, you know, kind of looking at what do they detract and what do they add and what do they modify? The one thing that I'm glad they kept in and really kind of added to a little bit slightly was the romance between um, Batman and Catwoman. Um, mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. Basically what happens during this story is that, and, you know, spoilers if you don't want to hear it, just skip ahead, you know, 60 seconds or whatever. But uh, you know, what happens is Bruce is starting to realize that, you know, like Nightwing and everybody's pointing out like that he's different ever since he started going out on dates with Selena Kyle as Bruce Wayne. And then when he's chasing her and, and he's in, in costume and she's in costume, uh, they make out a couple times on the roof. And so eventually he kind of comes to realize that it things are better with her in his life. And, and in order for this to work, he's got to share everything completely open and honestly, which is what I think all of us adults try to do in a relationship. And so he reveals his identity to her, brings her back to the Batcave, lives at, in, in Wayne Manor for several months, you know, and, and then they go and do crime fighting together. And it's a real interesting love story dynamic that's thrown into it. So, you know, for listeners out there, if you're a real big fan of like um, Batman Returns and that dynamic of Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle and Catwoman and Batman... This is de- this is probably the the best iteration I've seen on film since then, uh, and just on film. I've seen better things in in the comics, but in terms of adapting it to film, this is it was really special to see, and and really kind of pulls you in, and really wants you like roots for this to happen. And of course, there's complications along the way, uh, but I really like that aspect of it that they kept in there and kind of really explored. Uh, middle frame of the movie um and the end of this film is a very different ending uh you come to find out that this hush character that is uh causing all this dilemma for batman and and uh all this this other nonsense that's going on uh you know it, it alludes to that it's someone who has known bruce wayne all his life and probably knows who batman is who that bruce wayne is batman and so towards the end of it it's kind of like it Hush is revealed to be a different character than who he is in the comics. And I thought that was that was a risk, uh, but the ending was still satisfying. 
and it it still kind of added up and followed along the same plot lines in in a in a way. But, Interesting. Uh, but yeah, overall, I'd I'd probably give this uh, uh probably get this like a seven point five to eight out of ten. Four batterings out of five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Uh, well, I, I'm kind of curious about the uh, the choice of having Hush be someone who he isn't in the comics, but I'll go ahead and uh, figure out who that is on my own. That'll be worth the watch for me. So yeah, definitely check it out. I want to know what you think. And I have the graphic novel. So if you want to read that as well, you're welcome to borrow it. Outstanding. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, but getting back to uh, this uh, talk on, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff Disney plus is doing, like they're doing a home alone reboot Um, There's Mm -hmm. other stuff going on, like the uh, Daredevil show is rumored. It's not uh, legitimate yet, but it's rumored that they might be moving to FX, which to me makes sense because FX always has the the grittiness to it and the stylized tone would match up with what Daredevil was, with what Jessica Jones was. So I could see all those shows moving over to FX. Yep, Miserable Bastard Network. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I want to throw in there as far as Batman is concerned before we leave that topic entirely is the casting rumor of Pierce Brosnan in as Alfred Pennyworth in the new The Batman movie. That's right. Um, so this rumor came out, I uh, believe, uh, 48 hours ago. Um, what's interesting about it is, you know, there's all sorts of casting rumors, and it, that it's always difficult to kind of talk about any of this stuff because it's kind of like what's real and what isn't. And This we- is very squarely in the rumor category. Yeah, but it's like, do we even want to waste our time talking about these rumors? And it kind of takes me back to like the Dark Knight before that came out. And there was a rumor that uh, Eddie Murphy was going to play the Riddler. And, you know, it's just all this nonsense. So there is some nonsensical stuff out there. However, this is the one rumor that sounds like it to me, it feels like it's got a little bit of credence because I looked into it a little bit. So, you know, the rumor came out that Pierce Brosnan is in talks to portray Alfred Pennyworth in the Batman and that the information originated from a Twitter account of a uh, individual named Ryan Unicom. Uh, He's a low level director slash producer in the industry. I mean, and by low level, not to really not a slight against him, but just he he works on projects like indie films and, and stuff that's maybe not as well known and other types of projects in the industry. Uh, but he happens to know some pretty major players in Hollywood. So hearing that, I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a little bit of credence there. But I read a little bit further, and um, there was another source that I came across, and they pointed out that uh, that this guy was one of the first people to come out and tweet online that they had heard that Robert Pattinson was in the mix and in the running to play Batman when the casting process first began. So when I heard that, I was like, okay, this this gone has gone way up in terms of the odds of this happening. And I really hope it happens because, you know, you think about Pierce Brosnan. I mean, he's an excellent actor. And Alfred Pennyworth in the comics as well as the games like, you know, Arkham Knight and all that. You know, Alfred has a background of being in, uh, you know, Her Majesty's, uh, not Secret Service, but no. but uh, being like MI6 and, uh, you know, being in the, the British military back in the day. So he's got a little bit of a rough edge to him. 
uh, and he can handle himself, which I think they're kind of exploring on the Pennyworth show. But I feel like this would be excellent casting. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of surprising um, when you look at, I, I had to look up how old Pierce Brosnan was, honestly. Uh, I, he's 66 years old, which blew my freaking mind because the Pierce Brosnan I remember is the young, dashing Pierce Brosnan from GoldenEye. And uh, he will always be that Pierce Brosnan to me. Now I'm watching him and he's always playing, you know, over the hill assassins and shit like that. And I'm just like, what happened? What is happening right now? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think because of the age of Robert Pattinson and, and the, the kind of Batman that he's going to portray, um, I think that Pierce Brosnan is probably the right age for this. Um, the, the right look, age, like, as far as look goes, the dude could pass his 56, honestly. I mean, he's he's still a pretty healthy-looking guy. So I could definitely see this as a choice. Um, I, You know, you, you have so many big-name British actors to go off of for, uh, for Alfred. And uh, we've crushed it with, you know, Michael Caine. And, uh, oh, my God, who was the one in Batman versus Superman? Uh, Jeremy Irons, is that right? Uh, yeah, you're correct, Jeremy Irons. Yeah, so uh, pretty hard to top that, um, at least in known. Uh, I can Jeremy Irons being Alfred, I mean, you know, moving forward, kind of the way, you know, Q was uh, Q all the way into, like, John Cleese took over. So... But uh, that aside, I think Pierce Brosnan is a great casting choice. And I think that he's he's a very good actor, um, especially when he's he's actually in a good movie. He, he has trouble making a bad script work. But when a script is written well, uh, he actually he fills it out pretty, pretty well, I think. Yeah, I, I believe that Pierce Brosnan has some history with Matt Reeves. I'm trying to remember where the history is but he he knows him um i i just could definitely see you know like we have robert pattinson in, in that in the lighthouse film coming out soon um and he's all you know he's he's acting next to one of the greats you know willem dafoe right so i could definitely see him and pierce having some really really good chemistry and he could learn a few things from pierce as well uh so with pierce if if this does happen and he ends up on board um Man, this the sky is the limit for this film. Uh, I I think that that would attract a lot of major players to want to be part of this. Not that they probably already aren't. There's probably already, you know, we're, we're hearing you know penguin rumors and all this stuff. The one thing we're not hearing too much of nowadays is Catwoman rumors, and I feel like they're probably they have to be coming to a decision on that here soon. Um, but I think between now and October, for sure, we'll probably hear. We'll probably get a, a complete rounded out list in terms of who's signed up for what. Uh, so it's it's a very exciting time right now, um, you know, leading into uh, completing out this cast. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was definitely some hot Batman talk going on. Uh, I can't remember. It wasn't Josh Gad who they were talking about um, taking on Penguin. Um, well, that was, was the first rumor. Um, that was the first rumor. It, it ended up being um, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. All right, there we go. I could I could see Jonah Hill. Uh, he's done some stuff recently on Netflix that could make me believe that he could do that kind of acting. Yeah, he's really honed in his acting skills, and so you know if that 
were to come to fruition, yeah, I wouldn't mind that either. Um, I think that would be really good. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who else is cast for this film. Um, but there's some other uh, DC talk as well. Another DC film, uh, Birds of Prey. Um, they pretty much have oh completed most of the film. But they uh, announced that they're bringing in John Wick director uh, Chad Stahelski. Uh, for additional action scenes, which would be fantastic because, as we know, we all know for action, John Wick is uh, incredible. Yeah, man, I, this is a tough one to to get my head around because part of it smacks of WB bullshit. Um, you know, having to do major rewrites and major recuts and stuff like that. This or reshoots. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. this late in the game. You know, if they thought that it lacked the wow factor. Um, that's appropriate if they're going to do reshoots of fighting scenes. I can understand that. But if this is, this is them doing what they typically do, a la Snyder cut, um, you know, watch out. I, I, I think that it's worth uh, reading the reviews on. I think it's worth uh, seeing what the audience reaction is versus the critics reaction to the show. This is definitely going to be one of those polarizing movies that not everybody's going to agree on, but uh I think that when it comes to reshoots and everything, I get very worried about the WB and doing what they do worst. Um, when it comes to the Snyder cut and everything, they said it was going to cost something like $40 million to finish that shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they did that, um, I can't tell you that's money well spent. You know, uh, you can't make that up very much on DVD sales and stuff like that. But uh I will say that my biggest gripe with Justice League when it came to that movie was uh, that basically they just had a bunch of people beating up on a Muppet, you know, like that was, that was the entire point of the movie was it's faceless or, you know, like useless villain and uh, getting the crap knocked out of them. You know, part of the Snyder cut uh, that is so appealing to me is that they really give that villain depth and, uh, and kind of, anybody who's actually read the comics and stuff like that actually knows about uh, what was it? The, uh, the planet that he's from and and the kind of crap that he has, that everybody has to go through there. And uh, just basically how it it is a breeding ground for villains because that's all that exists there. Um, You had the opportunity to really feel something for this bad guy and, and actually give a damn about Steppenwolf that was all taken away from us in the theatrical release. So I, with everything going on with Ewan McGregor and the black mask casting rumors and everything like that, I really hope to God they don't give the same kind of treatment to that because it sounds like they spent a lot of time on developing that character. And Ewan McGregor is supposed to be one of the best parts of this movie. Yeah. I mean, the suicide squad, um, you know, the first film, I kind of really separate that in my mind versus what uh, Scott Snyder did, you know, because the guy who directed uh, uh, Suicide Squad, you know, different type of director and, and different stylization, although like there were some very weird creative choices and I didn't like very. I didn't like Jared Leto's Joker at all. And I'm glad that he's donezo and we're not having to deal with them in the next one because that was just it was really, great. really stupid. And but yeah, going back to Justice League real quick, uh, you know, what's interesting about that is I feel like another 40 million probably would have helped it. Like I mentioned, you know, WB had too many people in the kitchen. Uh, they, they rushed this film. 
Um, and they should have had more meetings in terms of like, you know, I, I think Forbes put out a, an article uh, about all this and how they should have had more conference meetings and just kind of like, okay, well, you know, the, the first reactions are in from our test audiences and it's not so well. So let's talk about it. And instead of that, they just made an executive decision. They're like, nope, we're sticking to the release date and that way we can push it out and move on to the next thing. And that's not what you should do, especially when um, this is a fact about this movie is Justice League was the fifth most expensive film ever made. It had a production budget of $300 million. So what's another 40 is your point, right? Right. What's another 40 and add a little bit more time, delay it. And they probably would have made more more money off of it because their box office total that they made was $657.9 million. That's pretty wow. bad for a $300 That's- million dollar budget. That's not great. Uh, you know, you compare it to like Marvel. Um, I don't know what Endgame uh, was. Let me take a look real quick. But, you know, I, I feel like their strategy. Okay, so. Another Endgame, billion dollar movie. Well, Endgame was $356 million. So, you know, what's another $56 million as well as not having too many cooks in the kitchen and a creative, uh, you know, storyline and vision that that holds up from the Russo brothers. Uh, so again, 356 million was their budget. Their box office was 2.795 billion dollars. Yep. So incredible. Yeah, and they beat out Avatar. So, uh, you know, that just goes to show you there. But uh, yeah, going back to Birds of Prey, uh, it's going to be interesting. I I do like the casting choices. Uh, I just hope that it's there's less cooks in the kitchen. You know, always. Uh, classic WB issue. So yeah, we will we will see. Will we not? Yep. But uh, we have a a little bit of sad news this week. Uh, this was just announced yesterday. The actor Peter Fonda or Peter Fonda uh, has died <laughs> at uh, seventy nine. Um, you know, so very famous actor. I, I grew up. I watched Easy Rider when I was a uh, when I was younger, and uh, and all the films he's been in. Just tremendous actor. So yeah, definitely a big loss in in the Hollywood industry. I think uh, we all remember his best film, Escape from L.A. <laughs> so I, I, again, like he he was he was an incredible talent. Um, I re- my first taste of Peter Fonda was actually in the movie future world so oh yeah 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 so that was uh uh which i think thematically was a follow-up to westworld yep so i, I think love the hell out of westworld watched that when i was a kid yeah you'll you'll brenner and uh i mean it i don't know if future world was a michael Crichton novel or if they just adapted that straight to straight to movie it might but, have been uh, i'm not sure but uh, yeah, I, I loved, I mean, yeah, growing up, I thought Future World and Westworld were, were badass. So, um, you know, it didn't have much to do with his acting capabilities and, and more to just like the, the environment and everything. But uh, no, I, I, he's done, he's done a lot of stuff recently too. Um, as far back as uh, like Wild Hogs, you know, back in 2007. Yeah. So he's done some real, he's done some kind of stinkers, you know, mm-hmm. um, but also he's done some pretty great stuff. So uh, not, not as ridiculous as like a Dennis Hopper career. Right. But, uh, but I mean, he, I, I don't think he half-assed anything. Right. I mean, that's, is that fair to say? Like even when he's in crap movies, like he's still, he's still whole-assed it. Yeah, you know, I would say he's very comparable to um, the loss we had recently uh, with Rucker Hauer. 
you know, I would I I wouldn't really put both of them on the same level, but in right. how they approached each of their roles, they didn't mail it in, and that's something I always appreciated, uh, especially with Peter Fonda. Right. So may he rest in peace. Uh, good actor, probably a pretty great guy. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else we got going on? Uh, well, um, I went and saw Hobbs and Shaw the other week, which uh, it was all right. It was it's entertaining. It's it's basically what you get from the trailer. So if you want some mindless action and you got to sus- uh, suspend belief and all that, yeah, go check it out. You know, Rock and and Statham have good chemistry. But one of the main reasons I went to see it was the teaser trailer for Tenet. Uh, Tenet That's right is the new Christopher Nolan film, which I love Christopher Nolan films because uh, most importantly, they're written by, produced, and directed. So that means you have less involvement from studio and all that stuff. I mean, that's one of the few times that WB took a step back and was like, okay, we'll let you do this Batman thing your way, and glad they did. Uh, But yeah, I love Christopher Nolan, everything from Inception to Interstellar to... Um, the prestige. I mean, everything he's done, you could say I'm a Nolan fanboy. I, I'm not going to, you know, fight you on that. Uh, I, I think Inception is one of the best films he's, he's made. So Tenet, uh, I heard is supposed to be a little bit in vain of uh, Inception and in that there's some sci-fi element to it, but no one really knows what it's about. Other than that, it's filmed in multiple, I think it's filmed in like seven different countries. And it's the first right. time no one has done that. But um, a little bit of news came out about it, and that uh, they don't—they haven't really released the final total. But that the pr- uh, production budget for the film is rumored to be more than Dark Knight Rises. Uh, the budget for that film was two hundred fifty million. So I'm gonna kind of go out on a limb and say ballpark—they're probably giving them at probably around three hundred million for the budget of this. But uh, you know, John David Washington, uh, I hear, is the uh, protagonist and then the antagonist rumors are that uh, Robert Pattinson's character is supposed to be the antagonist so uh, it's going to be real interesting again the teaser trailer doesn't really show you much of anything which is exactly what you want from a Christopher Nolan type of trailer uh, I hate trailers that give away the entire film uh, but right. you just see John David Washington's character go up and inspect bolt holes in the glass and that there's smoke and then you see a couple different like fight scenes and then you just see Tenet you know, and, and so uh, I, I love the hell out of the teaser. So really looking forward to it. I love Christopher Nolan films. Uh, how about you? What do you think of Christopher Nolan? And are you excited for this? Honestly, they could have a 30 second clip of Kermit the Frog dancing and then just flash tenant in front of it. And I'd still be ready for the movie. <laughs> so uh, no, it's it's a second Muppet reference of the day, too. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. it's. It's exciting. Um, something that caught my eye when I was looking at all the information that, that you had shared with me about it was uh, Ludwig Gorenson, um will be doing the composing this time around as opposed to Hans Zimmer. That's right. Uh, as a big Hans Zimmer fanboy, I find that to be uh, an interesting choice. However, uh, let's see, some of the things that he's done, he's done, oh, okay, uh, I forgot. He's actually doing scoring for the Mandalorian. So definitely ready for the heavy lift, I think. Um, he's done stuff in Creed 2. Um, he's done shows like New Girl and Angie Trebekah. Um, I, I don't know. He, he's, uh, I guess his biggest thing is that he scored Black Panther. 
um, I, I believe this is a good choice. Uh, it's hard for me to fully commit yet just because I am such a Hans Zimmer fanboy and Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan have been married mm-hmm. to the same projects for years now. Aside from that, uh, I've heard rumors of this being uh, not just an espionage movie, but a time travel espionage movie, which is batshit insane, but it's pretty on brand for Christopher Nolan because mm-hmm. uh, he's the only director and writer that I think a big studio is willing to spend over $300 million on for an original project. And that says a lot. I mean, the fact that you can have that kind of pedigree. Yeah. So I, mean, I believe in him. He delivers on all of his projects. Uh, and you go back to Memento, you know, it's like he's a brilliant filmmaker. And yeah, there are some movies like Dark Knight Rises, like there's some potholes, like how the hell did Bruce Wayne get back in Gotham when it's totally sanctioned off and he was out in the desert and he got out of that well. You know, like there, there's some moments like that that sure. you kind of have to overlook. But, uh, you know, from uh, Prestige is a really good one, piecing it together in terms of like, okay, is this magician still alive? You know, what's going on? How is he mm-hmm. doing this? And he's always just been brilliant in terms of, uh, you know, even Inception, leaving you on on the edge of like you're formulating your own thought in terms of what happened to Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Is he in a dream or is this real life? You know, so it really makes you think. And uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that if the rumor is true that it is time travel and it's espionage. If, if that's the case, that's brilliant. That's going to be amazing because Inception was a little bit like that in a way. It was. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they'll have to wrestle with more paradoxical stuff. And uh, I mean, I've never seen bad acting in a Christopher Nolan movie. I can tell you that. Yep. Um, so I don't know if it's because of his tutelage or because of uh, the fact that he just gets A-list actors, but uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about this movie. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who isn't excited about this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. And I'm with you on uh, Hans Zimmer. I am a gigantic fan of Hans Zimmer. Um, I mean, he's done so many, amazing films so much so that his compositional score i mean just looking at the dark knight for example the slow build progression of the stringed instrument of the violin and it and it and it starts to rise and gets a little bit higher when the joker's coming on screen you know it's like uh or his you know pretty much like every score that he's done from uh you know inception to interstellar to it, it's like his compositional score is a character of the film like it's it it's a propellant to drive the 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 story and the narrative further uh and he will be missed but he's it's not like they had a falling out or anything just to kind of uh full disclosure on that he's actually uh he couldn't work on two projects at the same time and right. he's a huge fan of dune and Denis Villeneuve, who we talked about in the last episode, uh, who most recently did Blade Runner 2049, um, he's working with him on Dune. So he didn't want to miss out on that. And if anything, Hans Zimmer doing the score for Dune, oh, man, I cannot wait. That's going to be amazing. So I understand that, you know, the the timing of everything, yeah, you know, but I wanted to give this guy a shot. Um, I He's done some other film projects, I want to say I read, that sounded like, okay, this would be a little bit more of a different uh, feel to it. Maybe it won't be completely orchestral like we're used to, and maybe it's a blend of orchestral with modern type stuff. And if that's the case, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give him a shot. Uh, I totally trust Christopher Nolan a thousand percent, so whatever 
choices he makes uh, in terms of how he wants the sound or who he wants as a cinematographer, I'm on board. Two, uh, two quick questions for you, be easy. Yeah. One, who would you have narrate your life if you had to go back and watch it? And two, who would you have score your life if you had to go back and watch it? Man, um, narration-wise... I think a lot of people would probably choose Morgan Freeman. I was thinking that, yeah, there's, somebody's got to say that, right? Like, that's got to be an answer. Yeah. So Morgan Freeman would be interesting, or James Earl Jones would also great, be a good one. Great pick. You know, got to have some bass in there. Um, it, you know, it would be someone, you know, like that. Uh, I wouldn't say it would be like, <laughs> it definitely wouldn't be anyone like Andy Dick or somebody like that. It'd be <laughs> totally preposterous, you know, totally ridiculous. But uh, who would you pick? It's a good, uh, I, I think, um, I, I want to say the person who I'd have narrate my life is a nineties, Michael Ironside. Ooh. Yeah. The voice yeah. of Sam Fisher, man. Splinter. Yeah. Song. So good. Dude, um, why didn't I think of that? That's a good pick. I like your pick. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I did ask the question, so I had a second to think about it, but, um, uh, I don't know who I would have to score it. I think uh, Hans Zimmer is kind of a throwaway because he's obviously so good. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I mean, like, I just, I mean, I've, I've been hooked on him since the gladiator. So we'll, we'll go ahead and go with Hans Zimmer. Yeah. I'd say Hans Zimmer, maybe Danny Elfman, somebody like that. But uh, yeah, I, I could, <laughs> I could just envision uh, Michael Ironside, like Carl was boarding the flight and he was flying to the East coast. Yeah, exactly. He ran out of peanuts. <laughs> if, okay talk about a mismatch what if you had michael ironside from the 90s narrating your life and then john williams scoring it that would be Ooh. the most confusing setup of all time john williams oh, that's another one man no that no, so john williams is great but doesn't he do he's a little bit more fantastic grandiose he's a, yeah he's like uh james newton howard you know and grandiose and huge production like you know uh, you think of Star Wars, you think of Jurassic Park, you know, it's, it's just real big and brass, you know? Good. Yeah. So new, new pick, if you're going to do Michael Ironside and Hans Zimmer, that'd be a good pick. But I think, uh, who, who's the guy that sang the Toy Story songs? Randy Newman. Yep. Randy Newman. Randy Newman w- narrating my life with some Hans Zimmer, or not Hans Zimmer, John Williams backup. So He'd sing everything like he would in Toy Story. You, you got know? a friend of me? Yeah. <laughs> Carl boards the flight. You know, that kind of thing. I think that'd be great. Deal with a kid kicking on his seat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is oh, man. not inaccurate. Well, speaking of voiceover work and um, narration, there was another trailer that came out, and this is going back to Netflix. I know we're kind of hopscotching Bouncing around. around. But, uh, one of my favorite comedians of all time, Dave Chappelle, is coming back to do his fifth Netflix special. He did, uh, well, he, he was contracted to do three, but he did four and made, I believe it was 60 or $70 million. And so he's he's announced he's coming back to do a new special, uh, stand-up special called Sticks and Stones. It's coming out next week, I believe, uh, or actually a couple weeks from now, uh, Monday, August 26th. So that's going to be on Netflix, and the trailer cracked me up because just like if you watch the other Netflix specials, he had Morgan Freeman kind of do the narration of Dave, and he's just sitting at you know sitting outside contemplating life. And this one, it shows him walking and looks like a, a dry salt bed in the desert or something. Yeah, it's like the Bonneville Salt Flats or something. Yeah, yeah. And Morgan Freeman's like, you know, how did Dave get here? And he's like, no, really, like 
where the hell is this place? And he was like, he's like, oh, well, what do I know? I'm just Morgan Freeman. And then he gets into, you know, talking more about it. It was, it was really funny, but I cannot wait. Chappelle to me is one of my favorites. I, I definitely need to see him in person. I can't believe I've missed out twice on seeing him in person. Um, yeah. We, we botched on that, both of us. And I think that uh, anytime you have Morgan Freeman cursing in a voiceover is, is a win. Yeah. Um, so I, I, he's the guy who's cool enough to do that. I know that his interviews can kind of be uh, trying at times. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen him being interviewed, but the whole like anyone can act, they're all good enough kind of shtick. Uh, it's, it's a little grating after a while, you know, like, no, I'm not good enough at acting. I know yeah. that. That's why I'm an engineer. Right. Um, I think that his voiceovers are excellent. I think that his, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who didn't agree with that, but him cursing is always funny as shit. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to Dave Chappelle. I want to watch this. Yeah. And it's not like he hasn't been doing anything. I'm, you know, I, I've heard, you know, I, I watch like Joe Rogan's podcast and he talks about like every now and then he'll see Dave at the, the comedy store in LA and Dave just kind of walked around catching some stuff out. And every now and then he might like jump up on a stage and, and do a, a short set. Um, but recently him and Joe, I think it was like August 3rd, uh, probably, I forget what state, but it was like in the Northwest and they did a show together and it was like a five hour show of, they had some other comedians there too, but had a really good time. There was one point where both of them were on stage and talking and, you know, and so he's always really sharp and, and, uh, uh he's just, Chappelle's really, really smart in terms of, you know, what he talks about, how he talks about it. Uh, just hilarious. So yeah, I can't wait for this, but, uh, so that, that basically came out as a trailer a few days ago. And then, uh, the last item here we have to talk about, uh, news related is, uh, another resurgence of a, uh, well-known show is coming back and that is Crank Yankers. Uh, season five has been announced. Uh, so as far as the casting goes and, and some of the people you'll, you'll see in the cast for this long awaited fifth season is, uh, Tracy Morgan, Sarah Silverman, Nick Kroll, Aubrey Plaza, Tiffany Haddish, and Kathy Griffin. You know, I watched this show quite a bit on Comedy Central back in the day when in its heyday and really looking forward to it, that, you know, about the puppets and, and the prank calls and all that. But uh, this is going to be premiering uh, September 25th. So uh, cannot wait. It'll be on uh, Comedy Central. Yeah, very soon. I'm glad that they're bringing it back. And uh, this is an old uh, Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Adam Carolla show. That's right. So I think uh, Adam Carolla will probably be coming back to do some voices as well. That's his. Uh, that's something he used to do. So uh, no, it's, this is going to be a lot of fun. I remember laughing my ass off. You know, like this is. It started when I guess I was uh, right right after high school, right in high school, and then you know during the college years and stuff like that. And so we had we had a bunch of you know favorite characters and stuff like that. And it was it was always a good bit you know, as someone who used to make prank calls when I was a very young person. And, uh, yeah, I can, I can tell you that that was, uh, that was pretty, pretty hilarious bit. That, that was a lot more popular in the nineties. The, the oh, yeah. calling, right. I mean, I mean you didn't was, have caller ID and all that stuff. Uh, you should definitely prank call Justin. That would be pretty funny. That'd be pretty yeah. good. Well, what we could do, uh, we, well, if you do a block, if you do a call blocker, then uh, nobody <laughs> picks up your phone anymore, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and the thing was, too, I mean, yeah, that was a very – I knew friends that did that in the 90s. I never did it, but they did it in the 90s, got kicks out of it, you know, and I think some of it goes back to Bart Simpson calling in and, you know, is oh, yeah. more butts there, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, but 
I was trying to remember when this show came on, and I looked it up real quick. It was on from 2002 to 2005, so it was very close to the 90s because I don't think it would have been as successful had it come out, you know, like today. But the nostalgia of it and all that and how funny it was, I could see a lot of people coming back to this. So I think this is a really good move uh, by Comedy Central and Jimmy Kimmel and all them. And having all these, like, really talented people coming in, like, you know, Aubrey Plaza definitely wasn't on it, um, on the original. So with her coming in, she's hilarious. Uh, all, all the comedians nowadays, I mean, going into that, I it's the sky's the limit. So I'm definitely tuning in. It's going to be hilarious. The puppeteer stuff isn't cheap. Um, I think it's pretty difficult to get uh, networks and stuff to commit to it fully, especially if it's not going to be on that long. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the, I mean, they already have the puppets made up and everything. They've probably been in cold storage for, <laughs> you know, years and years. So uh, it's probably not going to be that big of a, an impact to their bottom line to bring it back. Uh, th- this is, I, I think it makes sense. I think it's fun. I, even if it's just back for like a 10 episode run, I think it'd be funny to have a bunch of current big players do cameos and stuff like that. So I, I, obviously Aubrey Plaza is a great pick. So that'd be fun. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how much of it I'll catch to be honest, but it's uh it's a fun, it's a fun thing. It's a fun callback to, to my youth. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I haven't really watched too many things on Comedy Central now that I think about it in the last five years. So yeah, this is really a good move for them to kind of bring back to their programming. I mean, kind of like what we talked about earlier with now you have all these different streaming services. So it's it's going to be good for them coming back into the game because, you know, they they need to they need to, you know, stay up with competition. So yeah, they got to keep it fresh, especially with uh you know, they, we were talking about it earlier, just like the fact that Comedy Central is basically our MTV. Yep. So I, th- I think they've probably lost a little bit of that edge. It's pretty hard to capture that market, especially when a lot of that has migrated over to YouTube and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that anything they can do to, I mean, nostalgia factor is probably a good place to get to get some ratings back. So uh, no, it'll it'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, man, this has been a really fun episode for all of our listeners out there. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week. Uh, We might have something special up our sleeves, so you never know. Thank you guys for listening to this extended edition of Sensibly Loud Radio. Look us up on social media. You can find us at Sensibly Loud on Twitter, Instagram, and check us out on Facebook, Sensibly Loud Media. And we'd love to hear from you guys. Give us a call at 972-885-9361. Just call in, leave a voicemail for us, uh, state which show you're listening to, whether it's radio, Just Peachy, any of our other fine shows, and we'd love to listen to what you guys have to say, so please leave us a voicemail, and who knows, maybe we'll Carl and I can talk about it. Uh, there's going to be some other news announcements for the radio, as well as all of Sensibly Loud coming out soon, so stay tuned for that at the end of the month. Thanks, you guys, for listening, and we'll see you guys on next week's episode. Thank you.